Welcome to the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. We discuss five questions in about 10 or 15 minutes. And I'd like to welcome our guest today. This is Chris Reed. He is the CEO of Look Far Ventures out of New Orleans, Louisiana. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. What would you like the audience to know about Look Far Ventures? So Look Far Ventures, uh, we started in 2015, is a startup studio founded to work with uh, startup companies, mostly based in the Southeast, but not exclusively. Uh, we are studio, meaning that we both make investments as well as uh, participate in a meaningful way in the growth of the company. We don't just write a check and walk or put you through a program and, and wish you well on your way. Uh, we're very involved soup to nuts in the companies. That's fantastic. Obviously, being a startup advocate myself, that's near and dear to my heart. So I wish you every success with everything that you guys are doing. That's great. All right. Well, let's get started with our questions. Now, Chris, I'm sure this has never happened to you, but once in a while, people have a uh, conflict or a struggle with a coworker or a leader or a subordinate, whatever it may be. Maybe share an example of how you would handle a situation where a conflict may come up and how you would fix that. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because running a company, my conflicts with staff are a little different. Um, one of the biggest things that I do in terms of struggles with staff is less interpersonally and usually in their relationships with our clients. So a lot of times it will happen that a lead for a client says something inappropriate or infuriates one of my staff members, um, and sometimes with me, but usually usually it's it's external uh, or coworkers within the organization. And a lot of the what I try to lead with on a couple of things is I lead with empathy um, on these things as well as with. Um, as, as well as with professionalism, really. Um, in our world uh, where we work in, in, in a lot of software development, a lot of startups, you know, the, the remote nature of that work, especially the last two years, but it's always been the case, can create misunderstandings mm -hmm. and, and creates less of a personal bond. It also annoys people less because of course you don't see everybody every day. So you're, you know, a little bit, a little more uh, forgiving maybe of these things. Um, but one of the big things is trying to help people understand where other people are coming from. Um, yeah. When they understand, you know, why is it that this person is acting really, really, really annoyingly stressful or, or being biting or sarcastic or whatever with you. Uh, a lot of times it comes down to understanding what's going on in their world. You know, is this project going south and it's on them? And that's why, they're losing their minds at you and acting really obnoxiously, um, you know, all of those sorts of things. And, and I find that when we treat other people like people and really try to walk a mile in their shoes, we can usually find a middle ground to, to kind of deescalate situations. I think that's great. I like what you said there towards the beginning about leading with empathy, trying to look at it from their point of view. I think that's a really powerful concept on resolving conflict. So I, I love that comment. Well, question number two, I'm sure you've heard the phrase that people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. What's one idea or tip, if you will, on how a leader can help retain their talent longer? 
So in the last two years of the, quote, grace resignation across our organization, we've had a grand total of two people resign, which is a very, very small number relative to the size of our company and to the amount of churn in other organizations. That's fantastic. So I, feel, I feel like we've done some things right. And I believe that a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, not to be cliche about it, but servant leadership is really important. I believe that my job as the owner and, and operator of the company is to set my people up for success and fill their lives with as little BS as I can and then get the hell out of their way. And when they need my help to support them. So I do have I do have staff members that come to me with very intractable problems in their daily lives, in their work. And the most important thing that I find is that if I'm able to help them understand what is the root cause of these, these problems, what is really going on? Why are these things happening? Like we have uh, uh, one project in Florida right now that's probably nine months overdue, and it creates a lot of stress for a lot of people. And one of my senior managers in that engagement has been fighting with one of the other senior managers on the client side. And I've helped mediate that dispute, not by actually resolving whatever the hell it is that they're actually arguing about, but by helping both of them understand what's going on in this project. Everybody's stressed out about it. It's nine months overdue. People are talking about, should we cancel this project? Should things just, you know, which would be disastrous for both of their careers, you know, all of these sorts of things, you know, uh, and understand, hey, this isn't just a one way. We're not just the consulting company executing their project for them. They are not just the client that's paying for us to do this. They're also people that we work with and we have to understand where they're coming from. And as a leader, one of the things I try to do is push that to my own lead staff, like that engagement lead, when, when she's in talking with her people and having trouble with them, one of my big things is what's going on? How can we understand why people are pissed off, why people are upset, why people snap at each other. When we can do that, usually we can find something that will ameliorate the problem. And then usually we can't. A lot of times, like I said, a lot of times these problems are real and intractable. But that doesn't mean they need to become a personal problem that escalates to me quitting. Right. right. And that's what we try to avoid. Well, I think that's great. And it, 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 as you were talking, it kind of reminded me of your first response to the first question about empathy and the importance of really including that in the culture of the company, which is obviously a large reason for the success that you've had in retaining your employees as long as you have, especially during this great resignation. So that's impressive. Only two people. So well done. That's that's fantastic. Now, I'm saying that you're probably going to have somebody resign today. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, some, to some degree, it's inevitable that people are going to choose to move on to a, a different direction, but it speaks well, in my view, speaks well that you have that approach, that your attitude is one of, hey, let's create an environment where everybody feels heard, that they have ways to contribute, that are they're consistent with what they're excited about, all those things that you were just talking about. I I, I love it. I think you're, in, in, in my view, well poised to do very well. So I think you're going to do great. Well, question number three, how can a leader help build resilience in a team? Ah, uh, resilience. So resilience, not the ability to ignore bad things that happen, 
the ability to accept that a bad thing has happened and then to move forward in a way that is positive, right? So that to me is what resilience means. When I think about resilience, I think a lot about do we have mission alignment within our projects and within our company? Because people are not resilient when they do not understand why they are being resilient. In other words, when bad stuff happens, if I don't understand what it is that we're trying to do in the first place, then it's really easy for me to go, man, that sucked. I don't like that. Let's move on. Um, so for example, in all of our projects and anything that we do commercially, really, um, and this is in the enterprise space, less in the startup space. In the startup space, resilience is, is a different matter. I don't know if you'd prefer me to address that, but um, either, way, either way, in the enterprise space, a lot of it's very easy to forget why it is that we do a thing. Like I mentioned the census, we worked on the census for five years and it's easy to just look at it as a project. But if you get people to realize that you're doing one of the most important tasks that the government of the United States does, and it does it continually, not just every 10 years, it's constantly going on. And you understand that that really is a, a really critical function that drives funding, it drives representation, it drives lots and lots and lots of things. Then when people realize that mission alignment between, yes, we are getting paid to do our job, we're building software, we're getting paid, right? That's how we, that's how we do our thing. Right. But when there's mission alignment with understanding, I'm building software to help do a thing that means something, that I'm not just getting paid, but I'm doing something that has some value to somebody other than just making a buck, but it has some meaning, even in a com truly commercial context, that's a government context, but I could do it just as easily in commercial contexts where like in Bristol Myers Squibb, we work on some cancer drugs that are really, really important. And the customer service app that we build helps patients who are in a life-threatening situation get the kind of help and the information that they need as quickly as they possibly can. So I can do the same mission alignment governmentally, commercially, nonprofit. I could do it with anything. But the critical thing is that I, we take the trouble to help our staff understand where they are and what they're doing. Because people, Bill mm -hmm. Gates famously had that, uh, what he called meta-programming. It's really meant that you just worked on the widget you worked on and you didn't have any clue and you should never know what's above or below you in that project. You should just do the job. That's BS. That's not the way people work. Software is developed by human beings. And those right. human beings need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And when they do, they don't quit. They're resilient. They come back. They keep going when bad stuff happens because they understand what the heck it is they're a part of. And when they don't, when you don't tell them that, when you just say, shut up, kid, go do your work, then that doesn't yeah, work. That's yeah, right. that does, when bad stuff happens, and bad stuff always happens, they leave or they stop doing their job. They quiet quit, but in like a big way. Mm -hmm. well, great comments. Yeah, you really hit on some important points about what resilience is and why we can't just have people doing their own narrow view of their job, because you're absolutely right. When things go wrong, they either get completely disconnected or they're not engaged in the project anymore because they have no clue why they're doing it. So yeah, your mission alignment, as you said, really important. That's a great comment. All right, question number four, is there someone that you would like to recognize that has had a, uh, has had a positive influence in your life? God, there are so many. Uh, you <laughs> know, it's, it's interesting that uh, I think about that. You know, um, I recently had, uh, so my mom, uh, my mom and dad, you know, I'm at the right age where your folks start getting 
uh, you know, kind of on the on the downslope of life. And one of the things I've realized about my and I have a teenager now, so I'm actually also start thinking on the other side of it, right? <laughs> and realized that you know when I was when I was 14 years old and I started um, programming. Uh, this is a long time ago. Uh, IT computer programming was not a white collar job; it was a technician's job. Mm-hmm. And my folks wanted me to go to college and do all these other things and do all this stuff, which of course I did. But they took a little bit of a leap in allowing like to really support me getting into what has really made all the money I've made in my adult life uh, and all of the work that I've done in it. And they didn't really understand it. My dad was a finance guy and my mom's a a math geek and actuary and tech is really not their thing. It never was. And I realized that support from people around you that are that integral into your life at the right moment really is one of those outliers that uh, Gladwell talks about in his book. You know, one of the outliers you don't ever really take into account is, hey, when I was a geeky 14-year-old, my parents didn't say, hey, that's stupid. Why are you wasting your time on that? They said, oh, yeah, let's support you on that. Hey, tell us more about it, blah, blah, blah. Made a difference. It did make a difference. And uh, and so that's one of the things I think about when you ask that. I think that's, I love that. I love hearing, and and I ask this question to all the guests, and it's one of my favorite questions because so many times the guests have mentioned family members, whether it was the parents or a parent, or maybe it's an aunt or an uncle, a sibling, even children. I've even heard their own children have been inspiring to them. So I love that you recognized mom and dad for the support they gave you, which at that time, and I think you and I are probably close to the same age based on your description. I remember those days when IT was kind of a new thing. And it was, it was kind of this geeky thing that nobody, you know, only those it people. It wasn't a life path to riches and fame. Not exactly. It, it, it's exactly. So it's, it's almost this comical how it's kind of gone complete 180 in that regard. That it's now a highly sought after skill that people are going to into school for, but back then it wasn't. And so, yeah, that's a little bit of a, of a risk for not really a risk. I shouldn't say risk, but your, your parents were obviously thinking, Hey, we want to support. Our son and what yeah, even if it's this thing on. that isn't going to take you anywhere, right? You're still going to support you in it because it's something you're interested in, which yeah. they didn't have to do. You know, they could have right. me in other stuff. They could have said, That's stupid, you should go do debate club, you know. Right, right. <laughs> right. Might have been a waste of time, but <laughs> certainly wouldn't have led me down the same career path, that's for sure. Exactly. You've obviously had a lot of success in this career path, so it's worked out very well. But uh, great I, again, great comments. I appreciate you recognizing your parents. That's awesome. All right, our last question. Chris, tell us a little bit about your first job. Man, that's an interesting question. (laughs) Um, So I have to decide on what a first job is. Um, In my case, I'm going to pick the movie theater I worked at. Um, I I worked at a a 99-cent movie theater called the State Theater in Northern Virginia. That's where I went to high school. And um, they... uh, they showed basically in those days, I'm sure you'll remember this, there were second run movies. So it was like first time through the theater. There's no videos really yet. And so second run through uh, at the 99 cent theaters. And this place would be just a mob scene. And I remember uh, there were a few interesting things, a few life lessons learned out of that, uh, that I have kept with me all the way through. One of them was just the, the, you know, pervasiveness and power of like one of the things about movies and other mass culture like that 
is everybody watched The Princess Bride. All right, Chris, our last question. Tell us a little bit about your first job. It's an interesting question. I, I had a, a, a few candidates for first job that I, I, I could talk about. The one that, that was kind of uh, coming to me at first was I worked at this 99 cent movie theater, which uh, catered to all these second run movies. This is in the 80s. And um, the thing that always made me think about that was, I mean, people would just, I mean, this theater had something like 600 seats and only showed one movie at a time. And we would pack it. I mean, on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, it would be packed. And it made me realize something I still love about movies and, and about mass culture as a whole. A lot of times it gets maligned um, today, but everybody saw Die Hard. Everybody saw The Princess Bride. Everybody saw um, any number of other movies of that era. Um, that meant something. It, it's, a, it's a touchstones and cultural connections that transcend, um, you know, the kind of minimalist or, or, or the sort of pull apart individualist cultural experiences of social media. The mass so social experience of everybody saw, I don't know, let's go 15, 18 years ago, Avatar. Everybody saw Avatar. And so it means something to people. Uh, All right, Chris, last question. Tell us a little bit about your first job. I have a few first jobs I could pick from. I'm going to, I got recording in progress again. Yeah, it, it, you're, you froze up for just a second, ironically, right as we got going. So go ahead okay. and try, uh, go ahead and just, uh, we'll, we'll kind of pick up here from we're right where we're right where we left off, but I'll just ask the question again. Got it. All right, Chris, tell us a little bit about your first job. All right. Well, that's a it's an interesting question for me because I had a few first jobs. Uh, I got to think about which one's the most relevant. I think I'm going to go with the movie theater. I worked at uh, this theater called the State Theater in in uh, Northern Virginia, and it was a second run movie theater, which meant that it had the movies that have been popular and been out a month or two. Um, and I used to be amazed. I remember when I was a kid being amazed that like 600 people would come out on Friday night and watch The Princess Bride you know, or, or we have die hard for like five weeks or something like that. And, and I think looking back on that, one of the things that strikes me is that it created this kind of shared cultural connection. People all saw the princess bride. They all saw die hard or, or similar movie. I mean, you could name star Wars, any of the others. Right. I mean, there's a lot of cultural touchstones that were very common to all people all across the United States that I think in the ensuing 30 years, that's changed to where, you know, first video, but now Netflix and all these other things. There aren't as many shared kind of entertainment experiences that uh, really help bind people together and help them understand each other um, a, a little better. I mean, I wouldn't want that monolithic culture back like that because there was some parts of it that were not great, but it, it did create some opportunities that maybe we could create some more of. So that's what I think of when I think of my first job. Yeah, that's an interesting takeaway from the first job. I like that. That's a, that's a new one. I ask this question all the time. It's one of my favorite questions, and I get different responses, of course. But that's that's the first time I've heard somebody talk about that first job taught you kind of about that that mass, that cultural gathering uh, effect, you might say. So I love that. That's great. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How can people find you? So uh, I'm on LinkedIn. 
And uh, if you look for look far, L-O-O-K-F-A-R, like look far, you will find me. Very good. This is Sean Richards with the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. For more ideas, go to teamengagementpodcast.com. And we also invite you to subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you are listening or watching it. Thanks so much for joining us today and have a great day.